Um, I'm just going to jump into this first for you, uh, St uh, Stephen and Mira, because uh, I think we've got 15 minutes, so I'll probably throw open some questions as well before I hog them all. But um, just two or three projects that you're working on together within the business, your business, within the business, um, that are, is going to improve where you're at. Can you tell us about what exciting things, because you know, you've got it all together and you've got it all going on and some of the stuff you've put forward is just incredible. Um, but I'm sure you're looking for the next challenge, as successful people do. What's next on the uh, horizon for you two to take your business to the next step? I think before I mentioned that, our, yep, no our sale price was around $3.2 It has fluctuated around quite a lot, and um, we, we were stuck in a bit of a rut for, uh, not a rut, but in, in, a, in a band sort of just over the $2 million mark, but we've, we've managed to uh, increase that with a focus. So our, pro our project for us really is, um, is to focus on grabbing the upper end of the market in our suburb. And, you know, Megan mentioned that on the northern slopes of our suburb, the average price there would be around $5 million. We really want to... So our vision for our business project goal is, is to be selling regularly 5 to $15 million property. I have a bit of a seed of an idea... Um, and I, and I haven't acted on it yet, but we have one particular property, the, the vendor I know very well, and the value there would be in the, in the probably over $20 million. And um, I, I'm waiting for a moment to strike with him on convincing him, and convincing him that an auction is the way to go. Now, in, in New Zealand, there's never been an auction on a property of a value like that. In fact, their highest ever sale price in Auckland probably New Zealand for residential is 35.5 million. And I think here in Melbourne, I mean, you've, you've got 70, 80 million dollar properties, yeah. I think, haven't you? So we, we've got a long way to catch up and it sort of confuses me really as to why we don't have a few more properties that are up in that value. And I'd love to be, we'd love to be in a point, in a position where we represent those. So that's, uh, that's our project. We want to move to a higher price level over the next three to five years. Um, that higher price level, the people that are selling that, I don't know who they are, what they look like, but they must be pretty successful because you don't get into that position. So you'd have some pretty big giants to take on uh, who are already waiting there with their clubs and knives and guns for you to step in there, I presume. How is it that you think that you're going to be able to find their vulnerability or the opportunity to take some of that market? Um. I think um, they're not really, they're not looking after the, they're not servicing the vendors as well as okay. we do. You know, they've got a reputation and people say, oh, you know, to get a high-end property, you go to this particular person. But most often they're on their yacht somewhere in the Mediterranean, you know, they're not, not on the ground helping people. So I think we can do a better job than that. Yeah, fair enough. Actually helping people. So we sort of need to convey to people that we'd be there actually working really, really hard. Because sometimes you work harder to sell a $3 million property than a, than a $15 million property, which doesn't really make sense to me. You know, you think, you know, you're getting paid a lot more. You've got to work a lot harder. But people, it's, it seems to be the reverse sort of logic there, isn't it? Where people sort of work less and earn more, which, um, which doesn't make sense to me. So complacency and fat cat behaviour is yeah. where the opening might be. Megan? Can I put something into that with you yeah. guys because you're my customer and uh, you're wanting to move into that band and I'm fully supportive and working with you. Yet you've got all of this business which, are, which you've built so beautifully over the last 20 years and I believe in um, 
why can't you build a legacy business that is, is both saleable and scalable? So you're going to move into a different price band, but you've got all this work you've done for 20 years in an area which was up to 2 million. So have you guys thought about what you're going to do with that business so it just doesn't get nicked by competitors, leak out the door? Because you must have this, you've got people at different stages wanting different challenges, and it's how we support you. But also you should be able to either pass it over or clip the ticket or monetize, it's an awful word to use, monetize that as you're heading into the next challenge for you guys. Absolutely. And so our goal with that is to, is to bring our um, operations manager, Dominic, as a property degree, will soon have his um, license. And I think within, um, within six to nine months, the plan is for, to have him as a sales associate. Neil and I have never had a sales associate. We've dipped our toe in the water with that. Um, we find that we just, we, uh, I guess we're a bit control freaks in, in that way, in that we, uh, we want to have control over every part of the, the deals and the negotiations, and we haven't trusted a junior to go out there listing and selling houses. But um, So, yes, that's our next transition, and, and I think Dominic will be the one to do that. Yep, so to hold on to what you've got while you're building into the next stage. Mm. It's good that you need to come to Melbourne to three get together to work that strategy out. I'm glad we could accommodate that. <laughs> um, so I've hogged the mic uh, and I've enjoyed it, but you know, I'm not going to keep my seat at the poker table for much longer if I get down there soon. So I just want to check who else has got some questions here. We've got another 15 minutes or so, so please put up your hand if you've got some questions because you've got some of the top leading agents here uh, in Australasia to be able to ask. So over, over to everyone on this side. Who's got some questions or questions that they'd like to ask Megan, Stephen, Neela? Fire away. I haven't asked. I haven't uh, asked everything. Anyone got some questions? Yes, over there, Rocco. You want me to go? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's keeping me awake at night in the world of real estate. Honestly, and that's because it's it's well thought through now, and I've got really good people who are supporting around the pieces where the, the pieces that were keeping me awake at night. What was keeping me awake at night is that I uh, didn't want to do all of it myself anymore. I wanted others to come on and give some support at a really high level, and that made me really uncomfortable because once you start not enjoying it the way that you were enjoying it. Uh, I have a responsibility to to fix that, and so that was keeping me awake. And it was through go it was from going through the pandemic and some and and you know in recent times looking at the flooding. Uh, I, also, my, my husband's 10 years older than me, and I keep talking about him, but we've been able to build a plan to have him retire. And so I, that was keeping me awake at night, the fact that he's 65 years old and he wasn't getting any younger, and who the heck knows what's going to happen. So I really wanted to do the work so that he could be free, so that he could do that. He's in Darwin fishing today. He's living the dream. And so it was really to help facilitate him being able to do some of the things he wanted to do as I put a plan in place for the stuff, for, because I was starting, it was starting to be a bit of a problem for me. The lack of joy around some of the things, and all it needed was new energy. So the things that may not have been challenging for me, I passed those over to people who it's hugely challenging for. And now I'm not. I'm nothing keeps me awake at night except the cat jumping on me. Was was part of your? Was that part of your strategy to have to leverage out? You know, so much responsibility, so you could be able to have that, or was it just emerge that way, or was that part of what you thought of? Yeah. So during the oh. in the second lockdown and, and some of that funny time, uh, we I built a partners program. I had Michael Sheargold facilitate it for um, a year, 
And it was not necessarily people that would be my business partners. It was people that said that they would like to have some form of growth pathway. So we did it to start a program for growth for people who, beyond being a salesperson or beyond, like there's a bunch of administrators that, that would really like to have more than what they have right now. But in order to do that, you have to grow certain skills. You need certain support to do that. So we did that for one year so that we could build a pathway for growth for people who wanted a next step and a next step. And so there were like um, several salespeople that have ambitions for that, for growth over time for that. They weren't even, they weren't even, like you guys didn't even need to be on it because it, if and when at the time's right, which I know timeframes, we know that we can accommodate that. But there's other people like Ben Ryken, who's 26 years old. Um, ben, he's one of the finest young leaders we have, and he doesn't want to own a business right now. But for him to see that we see him and that we can support him in his growth over time, uh, th that's, that's what we're building. And that partners program is now in place through the two guys who are there. Because when I took them on as equity partners, I said, you can come on, but this partners program is in here. So it's not about them. It's about bringing everyone through over time that has an interest in that if they do the work that's needed by the company. Did they all make it? Is anybody that didn't make it that had that aspiration that yeah, wasn't able to step up? Yeah, they, yeah be, um, so, the, the, so if there were eight people on that, there are two that there's. One that was on the program, one wasn't even on the program. He didn't need to be. Um, uh, the, it, it was to set the framework up for the program for what it would look like so that all of us can see this is the way that over time it needs to look. So it was, it was, and John Cunningham was really helpful to us, which is what are all the components that we need to bring in to make it work over time. So John helped us with that. Um, so it was just to get people going and to start the conversation to get a framework in place. But what it did do is there was one person in that program that it really revealed their self-interest and their desire to have for themselves more. Uh, yeah, so self-interest versus the greater good, that person opted out, and we were able to facilitate them to find where they should be a business owner, which isn't in our company. Okay, fair enough. Sounds and, like... And that's all, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. No, just different pathway. Um, are, you sleeping, are you sleeping okay? Because I know we've got Megan and Neela covered with the sleep, but are you okay? With sleep? Yeah. If Neela's sleeping, I'm sleeping. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Um, yes, we've got another question over here, and then I'll get over to you, Ollie. Yes, Leon. You mentioned a few of the young people coming through and showing success and leadership. Um, what do you see that they've implemented really well, two or three things that they've implemented well in the first five years of their career that has followed to be in the other stages and then looking for other aspirations? So the first thing I see is really decent people, really decent people who have the ability to put themselves in the other person's shoes and do what's right for the other person. That's what I'm really seeing because a lot of people are, they can only see it from their own perspective, but I see a lot of really uh, wise beyond the years people coming through who, who see things from your perspective and want to do what's right by you. So the calibre of the person choosing to join the industry is evolving and changing and it's being seen as a place where when you graduate to come and build a career. So that's one key piece. The second thing is that they put, uh, they're putting the structures in place and building the foundations with support in their businesses around consistent communication with people over time as they're building what they're building in their business. That's two things. And the third thing I see is they are people who are actually, they're very purpose driven about the fact they want to do what's right by the world and be good world citizens. They're not, you know, they're, they're not, they're very aware of 
um, uh, sustainability, uh, social and, and sustainable uh, sustainability globally. And so I'm really seeing a lot of that with the younger people who are coming through. And it's wonderful because, like, and of course they can. Like my kids don't need to worry about a bunch of stuff. They're 30 and 27. It's because we've done all the work to, to allow them to come through and think about those things, whereas we... <laughs> I come, you know, I, I didn't have a dollar to rub together, so I've been busy trying to educate kids and build stuff. So they, they don't have to, they have more of a, much more of a, I have a strong social conscience, but they're born with social consciences. Because, and so it's generational. There's a lot of generational goodness that's come through from some of the people who've come into the industry because there's a bunch of people who have come into the industry that want to be a social media superstar, and they're number one, and they've got this and they've got that, but it isn't real, necessarily. It's, it's just about doing the work and being decent. Yes, uh, the old saying, being a, um, you know, a, a social media star is a little bit like being rich at Monopoly. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. You've got a young fellow here, Ollie, his name is. Got a question. Go, Ollie. Thank you. Um, this is, you know, you've talked a lot about prospecting, which has been fantastic, but I've just started out my career and I'm loving it so far. But is there a form of prospecting or just an activity or an attribute that I should be implementing now in my career to help build up a good database moving forward? So, what, sorry, what level are you at? How many weeks? Uh, four weeks and four months and one week. Four months and one week, wow. <laughs> and counting. <laughs> Star on the rise. <laughs> Are you any good on the phone? Uh, I've been getting better, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, okay. He is, he is good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that helps. That's and charming. Well, it's a little, bit, a little bit old school, but I mean, I, I was never very, very good at being on the phone or, or knocking on doors, and I got myself out of my comfort zone and, and learned how to do it. But I, when I first started, I used to drive around with 10 phone numbers on my steering wheel. And I'd make sure that in the day, daytime I would just ring those people. And they were just random houses, uh, people in, in houses. It was in the day before lots of mobile phones. And I remember ringing this one once and, you know, I'd get, you'd always get no's. you get 100 no's and one yes from things like prospect, cold call prospecting like that. And I, my phone call was, this, hi, I'm Steve Kerber from XYZ Realty. Um, you know, I'm just looking for business. And I think that's, the, that's actually the key. It's one thing that I learned was really, really good. It made me appear humble. I think I was humble. I'm just looking for business, and then I would shut up and see what they say. And some people would, you know, take pity that I had to make calls like that. But I remember one day just stuck it, struck out, and she said, oh, my gosh, I was just about to ring a real estate agent. Can you come around? So I turned the car around and went around and listed the house. But, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tough way to get going, but it's, if you get the confidence in doing that, and get some successes, then move on, build that database. I would definitely say keep, keep a, um, a track of every person you ever speak to like that in terms of cold calls. Make sure that they're in your database and categorised. Um, and, and then door knocking uh, is, is something Megan said she, she wouldn't do. I, um, I did do a lot of that in the early days. And one thing that I found really helped is always give something. So you knock at the door, step back away, create that space. This is, these are very basic things, but it's important. Um, look the person in the eye. They're probably going to be grumpy. Um, you look for the grumpy ones. Um, and I would celebrate having a grumpy person. So I would tick them off rather than the, the number of people I spoke to. I didn't really care too much. But I did seek out the grumpy ones because I knew that if I, the more I had, the, you know, I was, I was going to get there. 
but I would um, step back and just say to them again the same thing. Hi, I'm Steve Kerber from XYZ Realty. I'm just looking for business. That's it. I found that no one did that. And it was, it was great. It, it struck up some great conversations. People, the, what would come out of their mouths was, I'm not selling my house now. But, you know, I, I didn't have to ask. So I find different ways to ask. And so there's a, a tip for prospecting. Don't, don't do it like everyone else. You know, Fantastic. the other thing is there's some really top performers in your area and those guys, they're busy. So while you're four months in, you're not a threat to anybody. So go and get exposed to as many people as you can because they will be quite helpful to you while you're not a threat. Once you're a threat, it changes. So go in and observe what they're doing. And quite often, they are so busy, they're not necessarily doing the work around the properties they've got listed. So in all brands, like there's a brand that we're in that you could probably go around and do that work if you could find a listing in your area. Um, but you could, you could just go and do the work around where they're working because they are more order-taking from the open home, not necessarily giving to the community the courtesy of letting them know that this is coming up, this is going on, and would they like to know the result that comes through. You're not going to say you did it, you're, but you're going to attribute it back to whichever company it is. You will get in trouble with the salesperson over time, but they're not doing that work, and you're building. So, so you know, I certainly did plenty of that. I did that to you when you weren't in the company, if you remember. You did? Yeah, I did. I used to hang around his uh, open homes. I used to I do, because I stopped selling about nine years ago, but I would come to everything, and they ended up coming to me because I had the energy and the time. Do you remember? Oh, absolutely. And then yeah. I put Ricky Cave in. I put yeah. a, a junior salesperson in to hunt in behind a stop that Steve what, had, had listed because he didn't have the time to do that work. And Ricky built to being a million-dollar writer off the back of your business. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but 15 years ago, Megan, <laughs> Megan approached me. and Well, not approached me, but we would pass each other in the street. She'd say, hey, Steve, come over to, to us. To, and and I, I was with a company that had 50% market share, that Barfoot & Thompson. And I... I guess arrogantly said to Megan that, um, listen, Megan, if you can have the, if, when you have the market share that we have, um, yeah, I'll be willing to talk to you. Because I was very much in my comfort zone and very comfortable with that market share and my career, et cetera. And then I started looking, started seeing what Megan was doing. And she, boy, you're driven, I tell you. And so, I mean, and you mentioned market share figures just before. I, Keith Ashgood told me the other day we were at 67% for us of it, for, for Remura. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So it's, uh, and the company that I left is sitting at about 20. So it was, yeah. The good thing is there is no more market share, but we're looking after it well. Ab ab absolutely. Well so done. If, truly, uh, if I think about uh, Ricky Cave, for example, when he joined us, the Christchurch quakes happened. He's a young kid. He moved up from Christchurch to Auckland. He said, where am I going to start? I knew Steve was really busy, and he was in another brand, so we just put him in to do that work around him, and he built a really good business off the back of his business um, at, the t at the time. And, and Ricky now owns a really successful office of his own, and he's, he's built all his salespeople into um building their businesses that way, and it is through prospecting, and it is getting out in front of homeowners. Yeah. There is a huge abundance around. Great. Thank you for answering that question. We've got time for one more. If anybody wants to quickly sneak one in, if you've got something on your mind or you'd like to take the opportunity to ask, um, but that's a great answer to, uh, to, to a good question. Thanks, Ollie. And um, no question, guys, that if you approach uh, with an attitude of abundance, uh, rather than limitation, there is unlimited opportunities out there. There's no question about it. And, um, you know, we are in Melbourne, have all found it a bit tricky and a bit challenging. But, uh, you know, again, in this room is full of great operators, uh, a lot of experience here and a lot of 
incredible brands. So there's no question that uh, we will get through and hopefully have a good spring, as you guys will hopefully as well. Um, this is not, by the way, and as you've probably worked out, it's not what Megan, Neil, and Steve do for a living. You know, they don't. This is not their their job to come and speak and share and help, but it is what they do because they are uh, great givers and because they have a great relationship with PPG. Um, and today, to give up their time to come across uh, overseas, to come and see us, is a, a huge compliment to us. Uh, and uh, I've got to say that we're very, very grateful to have had you. Um, it's been an amazing session, lots of notes and lots of uh, inspiration. Um, so please join me in thanking and welcoming uh, to back to Melbourne. Uh, please welcome again. Thank you.